for Africa and the Somali Strategic Partner. Uh, this event will take, um, will, will talk about the continuous delay of the election combined with the dispute between the allied opposition group and the federal government have, have left the country in democratic pickup. How can Somalia get out of political instability and complete parliamentary and presidential election? Where is Somalia headed after the election? How can the country get back on track and avoid the same difficulties of the election four years from now? <clears throat> Our moderator today is Svara Tom Randoe from Enarco. He was former uh, Africa correspondent. Um, Svara, I give the floor to you. Thank you, friends and daughters and sons of that great country, Somalia. Uh, before I proudly introduce our panel, some practical information. Uh, this meeting will last for approximately one and a half hour, that is 7.30ish, something like that. And each uh, contributor at this stage will have 10 minutes uh, to point out a few key elements they find most interesting regarding elections in Somalia and the road ahead. Our subject tonight. They will do so from very different angles. Uh, but of course, we have to have some updating because as we are speaking, there might be an election in Somalia, right? Just in this time, this minute, in the hangar, in the Kampala. Um, they will uh, themselves have the opportunity to ask questions, uh, and of course, they have to answer mine. And at the end of the meeting, uh, the audience uh, will have the opportunity to ask some questions. Uh, so, in Somalia, Today, we see the worst uh, drought in four decades. Famine looms, according to the World Food Program. Six million are on the edge of uh, starvation. The COVID-19 is another concern. Al-Shabaab, of course, continue to spread death and fear. The shadows of the Ukraine war even reach Somalia. The World Food Program, resources, are affected. In this situation, Somalia has experienced a democratic deadlock. The election system does not work as intended. The president did not end his term in February 2021. And the political fights are described as all-time high. So why this delay in the election process? Then, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the panel. Uh, Halima Ismail Ibrahim, uh, for years a leading uh, voice for women and the civil society and for a change in the election system. Heidi <laughs> Johansson, special representative for Somalia from the Norwegian Ministry of Foreign Affairs. Mukta Arnashe. Uh, today, a political analyst and former national security advisor for President Sharif. <laughs> and Stigar Hansen, professor at uh, NMBU University and international respected expert on Islamism on the Horn of Africa and, of course, Al-Shabaab. 
So, um, we start with the other guests taking the time to come to us tonight. Uh, born and raised in Mogadishu, she has been a political um, um, affairs officer in UN Somalia. Uh, after more than a decade abroad, she became the chair of Somalia Civil Society Coalition and deeply involved in election matters as the chair of the technical committee and now as a member of the high-level task force for Somalia's New Deal processes. We will listen carefully to what you have to say today. So please. I'm really glad to be, to be here this afternoon and it's an honor to give me this opportunity and I would like to say hi everybody who is here and I will correct my colleague that I don't change into election but I always be pioneer for women First of all, Somali women are very strong women, and we are independent. And people they may they may mistaken since we are Muslim country that we have the same culture. Arab countries who are who are, who are being Muslim, we are so different. And although lately, after the war, the influence of our Arab culture has infiltrated in our country, but still deeply, we are very strong and we fight for our rights. We have been fighting for a long time. Before 1960, women were not allowed to vote, but because of, of, of hard work of Somali women, we forced them that to give us our opportunity to, to vote. And from there, women has been the breadwinner of, uh, of Somalis. We have been rising, but this uh, clan election, I don't say, I say election, it's a clan election or political leaders election, and I think we came down because we started in 2020, we were like 4%, 2000 and, and in 2000, 2000, I said we were like 4%, 2008, we became 8%, 2012, women in the parliament became 14 percent. 2016, we up, uh, we rise it, and we became uh, 20, close to 26 percent in, in the parliament, the female parliament. But now, because everything went back, and we collapsed, it collapsed, and we have all, we have 19 percent now. So we lost a lot of seats, and our target was to get always more than 80%. But that doesn't mean that we will be quiet, we will reorganize ourselves, and we will rise. And lately, I have been working with election commissions, and I'm the chair of election commission, and I, I have done other elections, indirect elections in 2012. I was the chair of the technical election committee. 
I did one of the, the first election in Zanzibar also, I was the chair of the team. And now I am the election chair of the election commission for almost seven years. Um, I haven't, we haven't done, our commission have not done the, ele the indirect election because the election commission's mandate is to have the federal parliamentarian election and the federal president and recommended. Uh, our mandate is not to be part of the plan-based uh, election, so that's why we were not involved in those elections. But we were there, we have the opportunity to observe and see what is happening. And I'm here ready to respond all the questions that I can respond and in order that we get um, some knowledge what is happening. I know already you are, you are following what is happening in Somalia, but always it's more interesting when you see someone who came inside to, to get some information about it. And I am ready to do that. If I start. Do we start responding when you ask it or? No, please continue. And why, why is the delay of elections in Somalia? It's obvious that the delay is almost now close to two years, and it happened for, for a reason. It, 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 it doesn't just happen, but it happened for the reason. And the reason is um, um, the Somali leaders, they look only the end of the, of, of the process. They don't look how the process will go and how the process will be right or wrong. But they are, everybody is looking the chance that, that point, which is the end, who will be the president of Somalia. So everybody wants to be involved and, 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 and have his own. I'm not saying hair, eh? because there's no hair in their decisions. And, and in his, his perspective of having his own president, the delay is not caused by opposition, or, but it's caused by between the federal system federal member states and the federal representative of Somalia. The president and the federal members, the president of the federal member states. And it is a pity that a country has five or six presidents. That's, that's our problem, that's the delay. Some of the federal member states, they want to, to, to create their own president or to be the president. So they have to manipulate the election, they have to manipulate the rules, they have to manipulate uh, the movements. That's why we have a delay. It is not a free election. And they are very scared about election. One of my young people was, was saying, and that's what I believe in all the time. It is that um, 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 they want to have indirect election. They want to elect themselves. They, they don't want to give the opportunity to the larger population. Because if we got one person, one election, all the politicians who are there now, they will, they will not have a chance to be re-elected. So that scares in themselves. So they will not free and give opportunity to the larger community of Somalia.
Thank you very much, very really interesting. So what you say is that the delay is because if or, or the, the resistance to, to, to change the election uh, method, it will not happen because then the people who are elected, so can, so to say today, will not be elected at all. Most of them. Yeah. Most of them. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah. Beside that, I mean, is that only from person to person, or is it the structure? Is it the the, the clan who decide that, or is the is it every person itself who decide that this new kind of election, um, one man, one vote, we don't want because then I will not get. It. That's it. First of all, and we always say it's a clan decision. Decision. The clan, it's not a clan decision. Even the clan itself, they will not opportunity. They will not get an opportunity to choose what they want. It is the leader, the political political leader, who is um, leading that area, who, who take the decision. If you look now, the 17th September agreement, it says that. Um, and, and, and the electoral college will be nominated or selected by the elders and the civil society. And what happened now, what we have seen, there was no an elder, there was no a civil society, only the president was taking this decision. Who will be the president or who will be, uh, who will not, who will be the, the, the candidate or who will not. And if, if you happen to go to the office of the president, of the federal member states, there is a long line, the office of the president. And those are those and those uh, online are the elders, the civil society, the one the ones who want to candidate. They were taking permission from him. He was the one who was deciding who will be the candidate or who will not be the candidate. So there's no clan decision anymore. It is a political decision and the president, the vice president in that area are taking the decision, especially the president was taking the decision. Midnight, two o'clock in the evening, in the night, people who want to be elected, they go to in front of the president's office in order to get that paper to give permission to become a candidate. Even the 17th September, Agreement was not um, and, and, and was not respected. Yeah. It's not a clan. It's not a, a, a civil society. It's not a people. It is the president, that president, who wants to write the name of the candidate because he is interested being a president or electing the president that he wants. The end. And today, what is happening? It's the election of the speaker. And I hope that it, it will be done because we got tired. It's almost two years. 17 June 2020, I went in front of the parliament representing the election commission. And we gave the parliament two options. One was that we will finish the election in, on March 2021. We will do, we will do a E-day election. That day, we will register those who are voting, and they will do the election. And, 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 and 27 March, that day will be the election day. Mm -hmm. 
from Lewandu. Or we don't want the, the e-day registration, then we will do the biometric election, which is we will do the voter registration, and then we will do the election. And we will finalize that on August 2021. They say no, election commission is delaying the election. They want that the presidency stays more months, and now you see, it's almost two years. Mm. And, and, and the sad thing is, the, Somali, the structure of the Somali society is, is more divided. We were in big Kalanis, now we are going deep by sub, 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 sub Kalanis. The corruption became higher than before. People, they, they loudly say, that can take how much, how many money he has if he wants to be elected. That, is he going to give me $200,000 openly without shying? So it's not corruption now, it's ordinary life. We reach at that position. So it can be up to 200000 200000 yeah. And they are going, and the, and the parliamentarian, they are going shopping. Today they are with Sheikh Sharif, tomorrow they are with Hassan. Tonight they will be with Karmach. They are everywhere to collect money. So they are not there because of the politics, they are there because of the money. The, the Somali politics is it's about the, the pocket. Mm. I want to be an MP to get money. I want to be a governor to get money. I want to be a president to get money. It's about money. There's no clear cut policy and politics which is going. Uh, we will come back to that for sure. Uh, with, um, we have another um, uh, contributor, Heidea Johnson. You you are special uh, occupied with um, uh, with uh, the peace and conciliation matters, but you also come with some news, for even from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and from Geneva today. What can you say? All this. called Sexual Abuse and Reconciliation, so that is my main, uh, main uh, kind of mandate, to see how Norway can support a peaceful development in, in Somalia. But of course everything is connected to everything, and, uh, and you cannot have uh, peace if you don't have, uh, if people don't have food or water, uh, and, uh, and uh, the politics will be a mess as long as, uh, uh, as there is a system like the one that Halima described. So, so of course, we focus, and also I, in my position, I focus on the whole aspect. Uh, when it comes to the, uh, the drought and the humanitarian assistance, uh, uh, yeah, there are some news. There were a, a big uh, donor conference in Geneva two days ago where the donors pledged, I think, I, I saw some numbers, 1.4 billion US dollars to the, to the drought on the horn. Norway pledged 200 uh, million Norwegian kroner. Of them, I think 80 million will go to Somalia. So I mean, we are trying our best to support uh, the country, uh, but as but in this situation where, uh, as um, Alima described, it's not uh, very easy to to see uh, how we can support in the most efficient way. Uh, we have invested a lot in Somalia for many years. We've been uh, working, uh, I mean, during the war with humanitarian organizations. Uh, the past 12 years, we have been focusing on uh, economic reforms, 
uh, we have uh, we have been one of the main uh, countries driving the process of uh, of debt relief uh, by a hearing bridge loan. Uh, we have uh, a strong peace and reconciliation focus in Somalia, and we are planning to continue a strong engagement. Like uh, last year, we opened uh, an embassy office in Mogadishu, which is a branch office to our embassy in Nairobi. And Hopal Swane, my good colleague sitting there, he is our chaché in Mogadishu, which is also a, 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 a sign of our dedication to, to, to continue to engage in Somalia. But at the same time, of course, um, to give funds to a project, you need to feel that it's a credible project. And you need to feel that there are responsible stakeholders able to achieve uh, results and good results. And, um, and now we are, of course, discussing with this uh, mess that we are in now in the country, if is Somalia a good project to support uh, right now? Um, as we also discussed earlier today with Hopal and Malima, uh, I mean, the, the example of Afghanistan showed us that there are very strong limitations to what the international community can achieve <coughs> if we don't have a responsible and legitimate governments and authorities. Um, so I think that um, there is a real concern. But also, we, we, we need to remember that uh, Somalia is on a completely different place today than it was when Mukhtar was working in Mogadishu uh, 10, 12 years ago. And they were fighting with, uh, with Al Shabaab um, just around the corner in Mogadishu. Um, so we, we also must not uh, lose the perspective that there has been important progress uh, made by the Somali stakeholders first and foremost, and also supported by the international community. Um, but these elections, uh, like Halima described, they have really created a mess of everything, and they have uh, set the country back, I think, uh, quite a lot. And um, it's, uh, it's I, I started in my position one and a half year ago, and I must say that to follow this election process, this period has been like being on a very scary roller coaster. And I feel that we are still up in the air, and we haven't landed. Um, but of course, we, we hope that something good can come out of such a bad process. I mean, sometimes bad things leads to good things. So we can hope that, uh, that uh, this will also <laughs> lead to a better situation. Uh, there is an urgency. Um, and I, don't, I think that many uh, Somali stakeholders haven't really realized how urgent uh, the situation is. Uh, and the consequences, if there is not a, a, a president and a new government in place uh, within short time, because um, the debt relief process with the IMF and the World Bank, they have some deadlines coming quite soon. If they don't have a, a new government in Somalia, um, then the whole program risks being cancelled. And then, I mean, to work on development in Somalia, without that, would be so much more difficult. And the term limit is uh, May? There is, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that may be open, maybe you know if it's... Uh, yeah, one of the time limits is in, uh, in May, 17 May. 17 May, yes. Hmm. If they're genuine, maybe yeah, they can make it. Uh, and uh, and I don't know if maybe if there is really a credible process, and we see that they are very soon uh, soon going to make it. Maybe there is some flexibility. I don't know. 
But, but, uh, but it's urgent that this program is not cancelled. It will take many years to get the country back uh, to the same level if that happens. Um, we need to see, I mean, to continue to, to support uh, and to engage in Somalia the same way as we have done the past 10 years. We need to see that there is a political will of the new elected government and the new elected president to really uh, deal with uh, the main challenges in the country and to provide that there is a will to prioritize services to the people. I mean, one of the, the, one of the main, uh, or the, the urgent tasks the new government will have to deal with is the drought situation, um, where, um, uh, as our moderator described, um, uh, there is a, a, a really, really bad situation in, in Somalia. Uh, 700,000 people have been displaced uh, during this drought period, and 40% of the population is in need of, uh, of food assistance. So, um, and, and all this, and this assistance to, to provide for all these people, it doesn't exist. So, so the government must show that it's really prioritized to help the people. It would be a real pity if the people in Somalia experience Al-Shabaab as a more um, responsible humanitarian actor than the government. That shouldn't happen. Um, I think that also after the, uh, the um, elections, and that is uh, one of my uh, main focus areas, is the, the issue of reconciliation. And I think that everyone now is traumatized by uh, the conflict, the level of conflict that has, uh, has come out of this election process. And, uh, and those actors who are now competing and fighting each other, they need to cooperate and come together after the elections to work on the big issues that Somalia needs to, to, to work with. Um, there's also a need for reconciliation on more on the grassroots level to deal with the past between the clans, also with the climate change and the, the um, uh, increased uh, uh, lack of resources and, and uh, the drier, um, for the weather, um, there is um, there is a need to focus, and I think that is both on the on the Somalia stakeholder side, but also on the international side. We should focus more on reconciliation and and uh, and conflict resolution uh, between the actors we are working with. We should only focus on state building and believe that it will kind of solve uh, the, the conflicts will solve itself. Um, of that, when it comes to the big political issues that must be dealt with, um, Anima mentioned the, the constitution. Um, to, uh, to be able to finalize the constitution, you need to have a uh, much better cooperation between the federal government and the member states. So there also you have to establish good mechanisms for, for dialogue. And the issue of Somaliland is there. What, what, what should be the status of Somaliland? It should be solved before our constitution is, is finalized, I assume. Uh, and, and the coming elections, the democratization process. Do we four years from, from now uh, have another round of these indirect elections? I, I think that very few people uh, want that. Uh, at least that's, uh, that's what I uh, hope. And then you have, of course, the big uh, challenge of, uh, of Al-Shabaab. Um, uh, it's, uh, that, that's a big challenge for the international community that we are, uh, we are supporting a lot of things and a lot of projects around in the districts, but to a very limited degree are we allowed, are we allowed to, to go out and really visit uh, the projects and meet the people. There is a quite, uh, quite clear disconnect between 
both the international community and the people on the ground, but also maybe between the political elite in Somalia and the people on the ground. Uh, and it's partly due to the security situation, of course, that uh, big parts of the country is inaccessible for us. And, and when we travel, we have to go with, with very strong security, and it's a limitation, of course. Um, how to deal with Al-Shabaab? Can you beat them by only military means? Uh, I believe maybe uh, my colleague Steve will, will also talk about that. It, it seems like it's difficult. Can you talk to them? Uh, I don't know, but also in that case, if you're going to try to talk to them, there is a need to have a legitimate government, because if you have a negotiation table, you have, and if potentially you have Al-Shabaab on one side of the table, who shall be on the other side? You need someone who kind of represents the state. And, and as we see now, there, is, there are no one who actually represents the state in, in Somalia. Um, so, I mean, we, we hope that um, we will see a, a, a new spirit after the elections. The first two years will be really important before, because after that you will approach new elections and things will be difficult again, most likely. Um, but the first two years, if we see a change, if we see a spirit, uh, I think and I hope that the international community will continue to be there for Somalia. Uh, but if we're going to continue with this level of conflict and mess, I think that uh, there might be other countries that will attract our money and our engagement and focus, unfortunately. So that's the reality we are, uh, are dealing with. The international community, we, uh, we cannot solve uh, Somalia's problems. I feel that sometimes when, I'm, when I speak to the Somali stakeholders, they say that you have to solve this. The international community have to solve this because we cannot solve it. <coughs> the Somali stakeholders are not able to solve it, they say. So you have to do it. But we can't do it. It's impossible. We can support, but there needs to be a local a drive behind it. Okay. Yes. Stop here. Bye now. Uh, Mukhtar uh, Aynarshe, um, I introduce you as a political analyst and former national security advisor for the President Sharif. But you are also connected to the University of Oslo and has written articles and papers on Al-Shabaab and clan dynamics, among other subjects. And you are sitting there with your laptop. Uh, yes, we are very excited to hear the news <laughs> from uh, Mogadishu. So what does Mogadishu say tonight? Thank you very much for the comments. Introduction. Uh, I feel honored to be sitting and sharing the stage with uh, Halima, Heidi, and uh, Professor Steve Alamans. Uh, for the last, excuse me, Steve, maybe you can hold his mic. For the last, uh, for the last uh, couple of years, I was uh, actually targeting some of the times uh, with my criticism towards uh, Halima, and uh, because she was on the other side, but uh, we are still friends and continues to be friends. Uh, I mean, I mean, I was, you were in, uh, you know, in the game, I was in the opposition, and you know, it frightened me quite a lot. But sometimes maybe I left, uh, I said something that's not, uh, was not very, you know, pleasant. But in any way, uh, right now, what we're hearing from Mugisha is that uh, the MBs have finally decided to, um, to have to break their tie. Uh, they are eating, and uh, they will continue to uh, make, uh, uh, I mean, they are, um, you know, saying that they will elect uh, the speaker and the two deputies. So that's basically what I'm uh, looking at here. This week or tonight? Tonight, yes. Oh. So most probably we will have uh, some results later in the day, later in the evening. I, there, is a, there is a saying that's been uh, attributed to Albert Einstein. I don't know whether he actually said it or whether it's just uh, uh, you know something else. But uh, 
it is said that uh, insanity is doing the same thing repeated and expecting different results. What I mean with that is uh, the Somali, the fundamental issues in Somalia will not change, whether there is a new president, whether there is a new prime minister, or whether there is a, a new government. The reason is uh, that uh, Somalia, the Somali state has never been viable in my opinion, and uh, it, it has been economically and politically dependent on, on, on foreigners, and current election will not change anything. Because, uh, like I said, the actors will still be the same. Whether there is Sheikh Sharif, Hassan Sheikh, Farmacho, Hassan Khalida, whoever, Mukhtar Ayman should become its president, it will not change the political dynamics and the political reality on the ground, unfortunately. Uh, there will be same policies or lack. Their policies, Al Shabaab will continue to be. Uh, a threat to Somalia in both in terms of uh, security and uh, politics, and it will continue to destabilize the country for many years to come, unless, like uh, hey, you were saying earlier, that there is some kind of solution, whether there is a direct political uh, talks with them, whether it's defeated militarily, which I will leave for uh, Professor Sigal Hansen, perhaps, to talk about his next year negotiation. And the international community will continue to uh, impatient try to force change in Somalia which will not help. In fact, it's counterproductive because uh, as you have uh, seen, uh, for the last, uh, three, the first three years of Farmacho's presidency, the international community were, uh, you know, banging the drums for Farmacho and Hassan Al-Khaira, the former prime minister, and uh, the U.S. ambassador uh, Yamamoto, the U.N. Uh, representative there, and also, you know, some people at the here in our country, no way now we're, uh, you know, saying a lot of positive things on, on, on those guys, even though they were actually destroying the fundamental institutions in the country and uh, Hassan Khaira and Farmacho were, you know, were showing tendencies of dictatorship uh, the and they were creating their own militias, they were destroying the parliament and the upper house of the parliament, the senate was completely marginalized. And, and I do not believe that the international community really understands the fundamental political <coughs> dynamics in the country. And even though they have, they're trying to help Somalia, but they're actually doing a lot of in, in, you know, destructive things. Because, again, there is an English saying that says, you can take a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. So, solutions, like Heidi was saying, must come from the Somalis. The internationalists can lead us. To, to Somalis and say here is uh, some uh, certain things we can help you to solve, but uh, but fundamentally Somalis have to solve their own problems and that is one thing. Uh, second thing is um, I will come back uh, to a couple of other things, but I would like to talk uh, first of you first and foremost a couple of challenges that are facing Somalia. Number one, uh, Twitter is. There is a political fragmentation in the country. What I mean with that is, you know, the federal system helping Somalia to get some level of political stability, but at the same time, it's creating a lot of problems. We see, like, for example, state presidents traveling to foreign <coughs> countries and getting in, in, in you know, like uh, agreements with, with, with foreign countries. Like, Sunan president was there a couple of years ago to China and, you know, made uh, agreements. In contradiction, in contradiction with the federal institution, because some of the com core competencies of the federal government is defense, national security, immigration, and so on and so forth. 
there are also fragile institutions. Uh, for example, uh, you might remember in, 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 in Belgium, there was no government for several years, uh, but the country was functioning. And the, uh, you know, banks were open, electricity was still on, you could get water from the tariffs, buses were running. But that cannot happen in Somalia, unfortunately, because there are no institutions there. And, uh, and then there is a weak security and defense uh, you know, force. There is no military to speak of. I mean, you can you see now any now uh, presidential candidate it has his own little army. You know, every time the prime minister, the president, they disagree, there are uh, clan militias in, in the Mogadishu states. Uh, the threat of Al-Shuaq Gloria spoke about, uh, the hostile neighbors in, in, in Kenya, and it will continue to destabilize Somalia, directly or indirectly. And then there is the geopolitics. Somalia's location is both a curse, but it is also a blessing, and it depends how you use it, because uh, that is something we can perhaps talk about later. Then there's also environmental degradation and, uh, degradation and also climate change. Uh, uh, mass urbanization, people who were farming and doing you know, livestock. I remember Somalia's fundamental economics are based on livestock and agriculture, at least traditionally, whether it's exporting live animals, over it was uh, exporting like bananas, mangoes, and other things. Now almost 99% of what Somalia's uh, consumer products are imported. But at the same time, there is no in, you know, foreign exchange income coming to Somalia. So how can you really you know, revive the economy when you, when you have so much uh, you know, surplus in terms of import? Because if you don't have cash in your pocket, you can't buy anything. It's exactly what we experience every day. And then you have excessive, uh, you know, like uh, unsustainable dependency on foreign aid. Every Somali you talk to, they're talking about what can the international community, the, you know, do for us. I think what they should do, think about is what like uh, Charles Kennedy said in 1963. Think about what you can do for your country, not what your country can do for you. And that is one thing which I believe Somali should actually get a, uh, you know, a good lesson from. And then there is also this uh, Somalia fatigue in the world. The world is cut up with Somalis and Somalia because people and Somalis are, have failed to solve their own differences. And all the time, all the time, 19 different uh, uh, conferences were held in the world, uh, in, you know, for the last 20, 30 years. All of them trying to, uh, you know, solve the Somali problem. And it didn't help. And then, uh, then you have, uh, so my point is in terms of challenges facing Somalia, uh, uh, there are no quick fixes. Uh, so the international community must be patient with Somalis. They must allow the Somalis to, you know, uh, you know walk through uh, their problems in, and help them, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, financial security, you know, and other issues. But the idea of simply Take a course uh, in approach which most international communities have. Uh, say, yeah, do, do you meet the prime minister? Yes. Do you meet with the president? Yes. Do you go to this meeting? No. It doesn't help. Mm. So there must be a lesson for uh, for all of us there. I, I will come back to the opportunities and also the way forward and also perhaps a little bit later on Somalia and Norway, uh, you know, relations because I belong to those uh, issues. But I will leave you to that. One example I will give you, which will also give you more big picture, is like Senator Abdi Hashi Abdullah was elected yesterday in, as the new speaker of the upper house, the Senate. He was there for five and a half years. 
Now the question is, what can he do differently now that he couldn't do for the last four years, four and a half years? So that is the situation in Somalia. Whoever comes to the president will face the same challenges and nothing will change in the short term. <coughs> so uh, you are very pessimistic in a way uh, uh, because you are, you are telling us that it really doesn't matter. No, I, I would like I said uh, I like to you know put uh, you know some ideas. It does it matter who will become the new president? Yeah, it, actually in the short term it will not help at all because like the same political actors will be there. All these people running now for president, for prime minister, those who are in regional in government, still, they will be there. International community will still be here. I will still be here criticizing whichever whichever government comes in, in office. So. In, I mean, fundamental issues will not go away, yes. I'm very pessimistic, yes. Uh, what, what do you say? You share that view? Are you as no. pessimistic? No? Pessimistic. What, what do you say? Um, I'm not pessimistic, but first of all, I came here to tell only why election is not happening and how can we change for the election. But now we are discussing the whole situation of Somalia, which is another topic. And I was not prepared for that. But what I can say is uh, uh, we are not hopeless. We are pessimists. And if you are running for president, if you win, you have to come with a change. If you are not coming with a change, so then why are you running? You are running because what I say before, you just want to get money and attention. But it has to change so man is not desperate. If you look in the business area, how it's going, Somalia is one of the best, one of the countries which has the best communication in the world. And, and we have business everywhere. The business people are connected, where, whether they are different clients or whether they are same clients. They just need to have and, and to follow, what, to, to respect, and adapt to what they agree. We have a constitution, you have to go with that constitution. If there are some lobbies for that constitution, we must correct. We must be serious. Somalis are not serious. Some of the politicians are not serious. Some people, some Somalis who are outside of the country, like Anarashe, they are sitting here, they have their food, their kids are not starving, but they, they know how to precise on Somali. They don't have a solution. They don't come with a, with 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 an, an correcting Somali and contributing. We must put aside everything. Somali is a rich country, and and, 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 and it can come out if the Somalis come together. Thanks international community. They supported us a lot. There are some mistakes. We can correct whether it's international community or whether a Somali. Yes, Al Shabaab is there, and, and we have thirty thousand of an Amazon military with well equipped, with armed, and we have how many Somali military? Which I, I I don't know the number really. They are big number. They are well trained. And Al Shabaab, maximum they are five thousand people. And now uh, we know we will talk about Al Shabaab. Yeah. So that 
what he mentioned, and I wanted, I wanted to mention. So we must be pessimists and, and, and find the way that we can correct the mistakes that we are doing also. Thank you. I was going to ask him for that, but that we included one for the confrontation. But uh, now it's there, and so that's fine. Stig Hansen, uh, professor at uh, NMBU University. Um, just a short story. I, I met at Entebbe Airport a young man back in 2017. He was studying international politics at Harvard University, frequently topping the list of the best university in the world. When he heard I was a Norwegian, he began to talk about an outstanding scholar and the book Al-Shabaab in Somalia. Somalia. Highly recommended by his professor in East Africa politics at Howard. Stigarda, uh, you wrote that book back in 2013. We're glad, uh, 13, you are glad that you can join us. So, Al-Shabaab in Somalia today. What kind of situation would you, would you point out? Uh, it's an honor to have known you for so long, but I would rather also use the chance to comment upon the discussion between, uh, that we had here previously, if you allow me to, because I think it's a very important topic, uh, and I'm in the strange position that I'm a positive as Halima, but agree most with Ainasha's uh, uh, description of the political reality in, in Somalia. You know, the Somali strengths for me are many, they are many. You know, one is you have a booming private enterprise sector, as you said. Two, there's amazing things going on in Somalia. Look at the Somali press, there's a sleeping war going on. If you want to have, you know, uh, good uh, opinions that are heavily engaged in discussion, well, don't go to the Ethiopian press. Go, don't go to the Djiboutian press. Don't go to the Tanzanian press. It's a little bit better. Don't go to the Eritrean press. But go to the Somali press. You know that you have real discussions. There is a lot of corruption, but you have real discussions. And there is a democratic tradition there that we, I think we should cherish. Uh, and what is one of the achievements of Somalia in the last 12 years? Well, the opposition is winning the selection processes. Do Ethiopia do that? Do Eritrea do that? No. Do Kenya do that? Sometimes, but not very often. Do Tanzania do that? Not really. So, so there's a lot of advantages, and that's why I really want to stress that for me also the problem here has been maybe not decentralization, but centralization around the current president. And he has to bear a lot of blame for the extension. Uh, and that's where perhaps I do disagree with both Ainasha and Halima, because I do see the federal structure as a checks and balance. And what is very damaging for us in Norway is to build up structures that goes against checks and balance to build small Putins at the Horn of Africa. We see what he is doing now in Ukraine. We don't need any more of that type of leaders. You know, it's tempting to build up strong central institutions that carries leaders that centralize. Somalis, you have one. His name was Ziad Baya. What did that end up? Not very good. So, so I would actually suggest that the, the federal level is, is a good thing, potentially. There's faults with it, but it needs to be uh, addressed. And secondly, I'm a little bit afraid of benchmarks here. That's where I kind of agree with Ainasha. You know what? This process is going to be messy. Why? Because you need to settle the balance of power between the various politicians. You need to settle 
basically constitutional habits for the future. And for the Norwegian audience there, I have them to study history in the long past, you know. Our process was simply very messy from 1814 to 1844, you know, with peasants storming, trying to storm the capital in 1817 because they didn't want to pay taxes, etc., etc. The, uh, the great Torpschlage in Oslo in 1844, it was messy. So it needs, it's better that, that you have, you take time, you develop the processes rather than the international community setting on benchmarks and benchmarks over and over again so that you actually have a very rushed process and maybe then you get the central government that looks a little bit like Ethiopia, Eritrea, is that what we want? I don't hope so because I do have higher expectations for the amazing Somali culture that I, I learned over time. And here is maybe where I, uh, we need to discuss the role of foreign aid also. I'm very happy when I heard you discuss uh, service delivery, you know, because that's very close to my heart. What has happened over and over again, I would say since 1989, it's an old tradition. You have, where 89, 88, you have a, a large donor influx of money coming into Somalia. And very often institution building has been detached of the service delivery. And that means that you can be a Somali politician, you can be a Somali civil society activist indeed without having any constituency whatsoever. You don't need to because you can have foreign money. What's important is that you write the right project application. You don't need to care about your own population all the time. So it's a kind of perverse system and that's where we have to think very carefully how we spend the money. And then uh, <laughs> it, it's close to my heart so I, I really am a little bit sorry that I didn't talk much about the Shevel. But uh, what I would say here is that uh, I don't see uh, the situation with the Shebab as having a military solution that is close to the strategies that are deployed today. It's only two options for the Shebab, and we should be clear on that, because we've been told that they are on the verge of disappearing now since 2007, and they haven't disappeared. In fact, they're richer than ever. So the two, two options is basically produce enough local security so that they cannot be able to tax in the countryside or tax the big companies when they move through the countryside. That's alternative number one. And that comes back to service delivery. Then you have to have a police that actually delivers for the local population, not the police where you have donors from Minnesota coming in and wanting to design exactly the police department they have there. And then the Somalis locally will be happy. And, uh, they will have an organizational structure that doesn't produce anything on the ground. And that's something I've seen over and over again. I'm a little bit annoyed with that exercise. Yeah. So you need to have something that is produced on the ground, security that is produced on the ground. And the alternative is negotiations. Those two are the only options. You know, we're not going to defeat them. They are not the priority of the Americans anymore. That China and Russia, they are not the pro uh, priorities of the Europeans anymore actually ending up being Russia. China is reluctant to engage. Who is going to help there fight them? And uh, well, when the United States was engaged, they weren't that successful in fighting them anyway. So, so uh, we have two options. What we need to uh, do in Somalia is take things slowly, ensure that we have checks and balance, and ensure that we draw upon the amazing positive cultural traits that are there in Somali culture, which is sometimes rather astonishing, actually. Uh, that's, that's what I mean.
I agree with Professor Singer Hansen that, uh, I mean, in terms of uh, Al-Shabaab, there are only two options. Unfortunately, I don't see that the first option of actually providing enough local security to defeat Al-Shabaab is being possible. That's not going to happen for the next, at least foreseeable future. So the only option, from my perspective, is to have uh, a real political negotiation with Al-Shabaab. But the question is, like uh, Heidi was saying earlier, Al-Shabaab is here, but where is a legitimate central powerful central government can, that can speak on behalf of the, of the entire government? We don't have it. I give you a little bit uh, of sort of a bad medicine, but I will, when I get the opportunity, I will tell you that there are actually opportunities in Somalia that can move the country forward. So I would hope I would be able to say like you think it's later on. Okay, this is very interesting. But uh, let's go back to the uh, to the election system and what's happening uh, these days for a while. Uh, are we sure that the one man, one vote is a perfect system for Somalia? One person, yeah. one person. You include the women. <laughs> but you are sure that that is uh, the way to go for Somalia? Why is that? We are not the first one who is creating one person, one word in the world. It's happening all over the world. And what they say is, and what they say is, um, the democracy election is part of the democratization. So you have democratic election, you have a democratic system in your country. So it's not a question to ask that an election, um, one person, uh, one person, one vote will help Somalia. Yes, it will, and we need it, and we have to start it. Whether it's slowly or whether it's fast. Election, it's necessary. I agree on that. I mean, is that uh, one person, one vote, uh, the perfect solution for Somalia? Yeah, I do believe so, because it actually happened now. It has, it has been happening for the last, uh, oh sorry, it has been happening for the last uh, almost 10, 15, 20 years in part of uh, Somalia, in northern Somalia, what's called Somaliland. Puntland uh, conducted a very successful regional uh, elections, which was like based on one person, one vote. And I think uh, it is, uh, Somalis, uh, I think culturally are democratic, you know, Somalis used to come under, uh, uh, you know, an, and of you know, and you know, in, and you know, discuss issues. I think there are there is a democratic culture in Somalia that can be fostered in the long run. And I think uh, one man, one person, one vote is uh, is the best option for Somalia. And we used to have. Yeah. This is yeah, wonderful. Yeah. We used to have one person, one time, one vote election. That's fifty years ago. Yeah, fifty years ago. Produced a, a democratic government, but unfortunately, the limited came and, and they took over the country. I have one person one vote is this is this the solution? Because people will have the right to choose who they want to to to, to take to, to to choose their leadership, and if they do that, second time they cannot go there and seek for election. Yeah, I don't have a thought in my body that one person one want it's it's the correct for Somalia, uh, Somalia and it, it's there for Somalia. Uh, but I also want to remind that uh, firstly a democracy it's more than one.
first. You can do that in many different ways. You can have one electoral circle uh, area like Israel is doing. You can have the federal system of Switzerland. There's a lot of ways to do that. And, and the, it's a contents that needs to be there. You know, it's not fetishism. That's very important. Democratic fetishism is something that I would say, I don't know if you agree that maybe we saw in Ethiopia at times where they have elections and you have 80% uh, majorities sometimes. Uh, and do we believe that that was three elections? Some, uh, not three. So it's possible to have these popular elections uh, like an exercise. And if you don't fill up the institutions, if you don't have the checks and balance, it's kind of pretend democracy. That's very important that we avoid in all places. And sometimes benchmarks from the international community can have a negative effect there. You know, you look for the fetishism rather to look for the contents of, of the institutions. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I wanted to just add to what uh, Stig Jarl is saying about uh, one person, one vote is not uh, uh, enough uh, to have a democratic uh, pro um, uh, a credible democratic process necessarily. I mean, in Somaliland, we we really uh, have um, um, encouraged and we have been uh, very supportive and, and impressed by the way they have conducted elections. We saw the last parliamentary elections last year. Uh, they, they seem to be quite free and fair and, and it was an achievement really. But not one woman was elected into the Somaliland uh, parliament. Yeah, so I mean, uh, you really need to work on uh, the political participation of, of women and, uh, and uh, it seems to be no way around uh, to having a quota. And I also think that if, if uh, I mean, even though maybe benchmarks and deadlines and all these things are counterproductive, I think we are also, there is a need a little bit to, to sometimes stress, uh, that we are stressing a little bit because uh, things have a tendency to take very, very long time. Um, and, uh, and if you're going to have a credible one person one vote election next next time in 2026 uh, i think it's important that they start to prepare that immediately after the elections now and not wait for three years and then start but uh, some years ago they promised that uh, today's election should be uh, one person one vote as well um, um, first of all um, election i agree uh, democratization is only about the election one person one vote but there are several um, um, tiers about the democratization and one person one vote is one of them having one person one vote because you are building the government in basic in that so it is it is very very important um, in somalia election we have seen that election has has happened uh, there is a, a democracy in, in, in Somaliland that it's going on and their their government is filled by one person one vote unfortunately there, there was no woman elected because it was the modality of election that they took because they are different modality if, uh, if they would have to a proportional representation, then women would have come because they will be released if that political party doesn't put them, can be released. Women, the commission would not have accepted and they would not be participating in the election. 
what we planned was that the proportional representation, close list, the political party will bring their list and every three person have to be women. Otherwise, we do not have accepted. So women would have to come in that way. And we would reach almost 30% of women if we follow that. Um, this election, one person, one vote election, was not prepared only few for the last few years. We have been working for the last six years. The only mistake which was happening was they delayed uh, intentionally the electoral law. The electoral law was prepared, was ready, and the Council of Ministers was supposed to, to, to vote for that and then send to the parliament. But it stayed, the, the electoral law was staying in the office of the prime minister almost one year. They were not sending to the, to the, to the parliament. And there were reasons because, as Ayanashi was saying, the first three years, President Farmaj and Prime Minister Hassan were together, working together. And, 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 and I'm not saying the way that he said, but they have done a lot. The debt relief that we are talking of, that Rebhe was talking, it came because of their hard work when, when, they, were, when they were together. And most of the international community here, they worked hard on that. And we reached a position that um, some, most of the debt of Somalia could be. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm so sorry with my English because my background is Italian. I stayed in Italia from elementary to my master, and I was trying to learn English lately. So sorry. You're doing great. But I think I think you understand me. I wish I can speak Somali or Italian. But but, but anyway, uh, what what you said was that. The government actually shut the, down the, the, the but, but the conflict between the president and the prime minister damaged a lot. Okay, but, but why do you believe that it's possible in the next four years? What kind of roadmap can you see? That, that's what I have my, my and, 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 and possible options. Mm. I put the first point is Somali federal government and for Somali member state leaders must sign a a charter to prioritize and support universal service election. What we are planning is to have a big conference, inviting all the stakeholders, and come with a roadmap. And that roadmap must be responded, respected by the, by the coming government. And to start, as my colleague was saying, to start at first day to, to work on, on, on election program. Project. Do you think it's possible? Is it possible? Yeah. Is, is it possible? Um, if we are all genuine, if the interference of um, foreign governments stays as we say out, I'm not talking um, only the international community, um, but I'm talking specifically 
the neighboring country and the Arab countries. Mm. If they stay out of this, Somalis will have come together and work. Because even Somalis are divided among themselves to those, some are with Saudi, some are with Emirates, some are with Kenya, some are who has different interests. And that interest, they conflict each other. Are you optimist when it comes to new um, election law for the next four years? Uh, when it comes to uh, the in, in oh, sorry, when it comes to the political situation in Somalia or political realities in the country, I am not an optimist at all. But uh, but I would just like to say just to put a little bit more, uh, perhaps uh, something positive into my. Uh, this talk, I would just say, when it comes to, for example, economic issues, there is a huge uh, opportunity for Somalia and for Somalis to, uh, in the country. For example, there is an enormous natural resources in our oceans. You know, I was reading a report by a, an organization called Fisheries, uh, called Fisheries Securities. There is a report they actually issued in 2014, and they said, 3.7 billion dollars of uh, fish is actually looted from Somalia. And that money is four or five times bigger than the entire international community giving Somalia as an economic support. But unfortunately, like, and again, it's, it comes back to my political pessimism, is that the Somalian leaders are not talking about, uh, you know, the exploiting the natural resources. There's also another report by the World Bank, which I used to work for, by the way. They said 76% of the Somalis, the total Somali population, is actually only 90 kilometers from the, from the sea, whether it's in the south, whether it's in the north, whether it's in the, in, 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 in the east. What that means is that Somalis, almost 76% of the Somalis could actually eat as lunch, even though roads are bad, food that has been caught in the ocean the same day. But Somalis are not thinking about that. They're actually begging foreigners, uh, you know, Norway included, uh, for money. Why can't, uh, you know, fish in uh, small communities, corporates, uh, fisheries can't produce? Somalis are now hungry, and <coughs> Somali oceans are full of, uh, you know, food. So it doesn't make sense, you know. And again, this is what makes me politically, you know, pessimistic. And then in terms of opportunities, there is a young workforce in Somalia which could be used for the development of the country. There's also, you know, potential for economic development in terms of geopolitics. I spoke earlier about the fact that geopolitics, I mean, the geographical location of Somalia is both a blessing, but it's also, you know, a curse. In terms of blessing, now we're talking about it, is, it could be useful, you know, Somali seaports, Somali, you know, it could help international trade with Somalis could earn a lot of money. Fortunately now, Ethiopia is going to engage in, in northern Somalia, in, in, in Berbera, there is also a seaport now they're building in the, in the, in the east, in Puntland. There's also <laughs> another one in Hobio. Mogadishu is there, you know, in, um, hopefully, you know, Kiswaya will, will also do the same. So there is a potential for, uh, for, uh, for economic <coughs> development. And last point, which is also, you know, in terms of remittance, there is a lot of, uh, you know, remittance coming uh, from, uh, from overseas, from Norway, including there are so many remittance companies in Groenland and Troyan. According to the World Bank Group, uh, you know, uh, this is an old report, but they said over one billion dollars is actually sent to Somalia directly cash. Unfortunately, most of that money goes to Ethiopia and Kenya for cars, but, uh, but still there's a lot of money that actually Somalis benefit. So I am not saying economically Somalia in, 
I'm pessimistic about. In fact, I'm very optimistic about. But what I am very pessimistic about is the fact that there is no credible political leadership in Somalia. And unless Somalis speak themselves honestly, and you know, talking, stop talking about this NGO, international community, you know, bullet points, and they come together and say, how come we resolve our problems? Nothing will happen. And that's what makes me keep in awake in the next century. Okay. But, uh, uh, yeah, please. Well, um, somehow, uh, just a minute. In 2019, I, I participated in a meeting with the federal member states and federal the president and prime minister. I think early 19 or end of 2018. And we had a minister official. That minister was well educated. He used to work at the World Bank and he had a lot of now he is running as uh, for a president. He was there in the, in, in the conference. They were deciding and agreeing the, um, the sharing, the resource sharing, uh, especially the fishing. And then he, he, he made a good speech and he talks well points and he said that even Somalia even doesn't need to look for a petroleum, to dig a, gap, a petroleum. The fisher is enough for Somalia. We are rich, and we can get that, that um, um, resources. One of the best, two of the president, mem federal member states of president, they really condemned him. They said, you are stopping our business, because he stopped several fish, foreign fishers to fish in the area. Illegal fishing. Ill illegal fishing that the federal member president gave it the, the Shutting uh, on this uh, license. license. They gave the license. So two of the president they stand and they condemned him and they said you are not a good person, you closed our resources, we don't want it. And after two weeks he has been sacked by 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 by, by the minister. And they nominated someone someone else who doesn't have the same level of education for the for for Hashi. And what happening in the NGOs to stop Somali resources? And I don't know how how come that idea is giving the agriculture, the farmers, and the nomadic people who were um, raising um, goats and cows and camels. Instead, they are giving cash money, eighty dollars, forty dollars cash money to survive. The nomadic people, they abandon their their, their heads, and they are in the cities now, begging for that cash money. The agriculture is destroyed because of that, and, and now the nomadic also are destroyed. I was in Garoway uh, last year, and, and, and we had a meeting, and I visited a farm. They were cultivating banana and, 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 and grapefruit and, 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 and watermelon. Then I, my background is agriculture. I did agriculture economy and research development. So I was interested to see having grow a farm. That was very interesting for me because Somalis, they were only cultivating the, the two river sites, not the countryside. Then the guy, he made me a tour and I have seen that under the banana there was a lot of weeds growing. And I say, why don't you cut these weeds? Because they will divide the resources 
from the plant. Then he said, you don't have people to work because people, they take money, cash money from, from NGOs. So they, they rather stay in their homes and get the money instead of working. So you see, it is a problem also that. So we need to think about how can we create opportunity, how can we, we come out with our own resources. Mm. I grew out a country that was exporting all the, re uh, the resources that they have, and, they, and, and it was importing minimum, 50% I, mean, I think we were importing, but everything we were growing in, in, in Somalia. Now it's different. Everything is important. We don't export any. Thank you. Uh, so now it's time for, for you, the audience, to, um, to address your questions to the panel. Uh, to do that, uh, you have to come up to the stage, and you have to present yourself, and you have two minutes to deliver a question, not more than two minutes. And it has to be a question at the end, uh, not just a speech. Okay? Please. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity and I say hi to, to the panelists and to everyone. My name is Muhammad Hussein Gass. I hold a PhD degree in development business for us, specializing in, in governance in the context of uh, post-conflict states like Somalia. I have a commentary, but also maybe a few questions. My comment is, is, if we look Somalia, we cannot be pessimistic, because of, I think being pessimistic means not knowing or not reflecting about the reality of Somalia for the last 20 or 30 years. If you look at the politics, even there is a progress in, in the politics. Initially, it used to be under dispute, but mean actors, political actors, used to be sorted out through the barrel of gun. But then thing is moving. Uh, it is arthritis, uh, political attention, and negotiations. But I do understand for international actors and, and money uh, stakeholders that have invested in Somalia for so long, you know, their visions is uh, becoming quite thin. But then we, we should remember there has been a lot of progress. If we take the the first transitional government built in Nairobi, it was one of dominated. Then things is moving. Then things is moving. But then I do acknowledge there is an issue of leadership. It's not all Somalis. It's not, this does not reflect about the Somalis, their culture, their, what they want. And it's not all Somalis that are correct, but it's the bold character. But then there is aspect of this blame that international actors also has to share. Because of I have been there in 2019, I have seen senior UN officials, I have seen many other stakeholders, and what they were saying, what they were doing, was actually building up a very centralized system. When the country constitution, professional constitution, is a federal, meaning you, know, you have the regional states and you have a federal structure, and that's a framework. But instead of, you know, channeling their support through that based on the Constitution, I don't know whether that was because of integration or whatever reasons, or personal relationship, they actually channeled everything through a federal system, uh, centralized system that was 
beyond the Constitution. And what we have today is a result of that. For example, I had a meeting with the UN, also officials. In 2019, they were the actual donors, and they asked me, what do you think? Uh, one man, one vote. I say one man, one vote is impossible. Yeah, because of we have lost so much time. It's only one year left at that time to conduct. And then part of the country is controlled by Shabbat. And they, were, they became very offensive, saying I was anti-democratic. What, what that tells us, they are not involved. There's a knowledge gap or, or I don't know. You know, they, they have, they're inside Havana. Probably they have their people. But then, you know, knowing what happened and knowing what that means in, within the context of someone is totally different. So I don't blame them. But now, you know, they were forced after one year to, to even try to make the indirect election. So I think priority number one for international actors should be watching. I know it's tiresome. They should be watching. When legacy president and government comes, they should be watching their steps so that we do not get into the point where we have to scramble when the crisis are so big and threatening the entire country and political stability. That, that's my comment. When it comes to to few of the things that were mentioned by by all, I, I almost know all of them, my, my friends or colleagues, um, even uh, for Harima, okay, through the media. I think uh, there has to be some sort of uh, very pragmatic. I know the situation in Somalia is very confusing. Very pragmatic uh, reflection and, and a very general reflection. And I think, regardless of what happened, international actors will be there uh, for, for reasons that relate to the national security, to the issue of migration, to what uh, a FACOM of this engagement could produce. Because of we had this engagement from 1995. And then what we had it was Islamist and Al-Shabaab and all of these become emerging. Then when it comes to Somalia, whether Somalia is poor, I don't think Somalia is poor. We, have, we need policies, we need structures, we need uh, to allow, you know, enough time to develop those policies and structures. But also leaders, we need to tell the leaders what they are wrong. I, I think I should stop there. Yeah. Although I would like to continue my comments and discussions with some of my colleagues. Thank you very much. Yeah. Anyone want to comment on that? Uh, I, I, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Gassa, I, uh, I, there's one thing I disagree with Dr. Gassa. Yeah, there is some uh, diplomacy, political development in the country, uh, you could say. But I was in, uh, I went to Mogadishu first time in, in May 2009. And at that time, you know, the, federal, the transitional federal government where I was working for uh, was controlling the airport, the seaport, and, and the Somalia. Actually, we were not controlling, but Amazon was keeping us there. And anywhere in, in between were actually a foreign country in the sense that we couldn't go out, we couldn't do nothing. Uh, and Sheikh Sharif, Sheikh Ahmed the president, whom I worked for for three and a half years, was there in the Somalia, we were there. And there was an Amazon soldier, a foreign soldier, protecting the president when he was going to his bathroom or his, uh, you know, wherever. And the same is happening 12 years later. So what kind of progress can we talk about? Yes, the, 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 
you know, the political maturity of the Somali people has grown tremendously because now people want a government. They know that the service delivery has to be there. They want the government to do something. But in terms of the actual political development on the ground, nothing much has changed in terms of security, in terms of economic. What has the government done for the Somali people? None. They receive thousands and thousands of dollars each of them. Every single day, there are 275 MPs, 54 senators, and so many, you know, ministers. I can't even tell you, 70 almost. They are actually a, a burden to the state, these people. If that money went directly to the Somali people, things would have changed. I mean, when I used to say to President Sheikh Sharif, Sheikh Hamid, when you are appointing a minister, are you giving him a role to play? Or are you simply giving him a position? I still can't tell. So the, Dr. Gass, yes, there is some development, but the fact of the matter is nothing much has changed. Maybe my expectation is a little bit too high. Maybe I've been drinking, you know, something is too long in Norway. I don't know. Maybe I've been having, you know, like spent too much time on Starbucks or something else. I do not know. Maybe I read too many Norwegian newspapers. But what I am saying is, uh, in terms of actual development, political development, nothing much has changed. Yes, I agree with, uh, you know, in Professor Stig, the other hands. And in terms, there are certain, you know, things that have changed a little bit. But. Yes, uh, it's good that you came first in 2009. I was there in 2005. And then I had to change guards uh, at each district. Uh, otherwise, my life was in danger. Unfortunately for me, I was there in 2006, and it was like heaven to be controversial under the Sharia court because I could pass through the city. I was there. Well, in there yeah. you a little bit more ahead, bro. I was there in 2007, and then I was was shot at 21st October Road, uh, and uh, I think gas is in the long run, in the short run, I kind of see your point. In the long run, I think uh, Mohammed is, is correct. You know, After all, the warlords are not shooting at each other. After all, the last front lines we had in Mogadishu was really in 2010, 2011. That's where the front lines disappeared. You know, no, it's terror. It's bad with terror. I fully agree on the Shebab attacks. But I do really see uh, this as a kind of progress. And you have all the talks before of presidential elections. Mm -hmm. And all the time we are talking, it's going to be violence, it's going to be violence, and very often it calms down. It's not the optimal results, but it ends up calming down. It's very, uh, over the years, 2012, 2016, all the time it went down. So it's a repeated game, but it's also advantages, you know, that the central state, the central government and the federal state didn't have an outright war. Mm -hmm. so, so I kind of see this as a... Uh, as a kind of progress, but I do have sympathies with uh, a kind, maybe a stronger phase of uh, progress, maybe I'm too patient. Uh, what I would say, is it's again, sometimes progress also have to be slow. Uh, uh, and let's look at Somaliland, you know. We can maybe admit that Somaliland have reached quite far. Not that they have strong ideological parties, because it's very often clan-based uh, as well. But, but the point being that Somaliland wasn't afraid of maybe the left the lying some of their electoral processes. They want to fill the institution with content. They wanted to fill fill the process with contents. They want to have grow a kind of consensus before it took place. Uh, and I know there's a lot of differences. I know Egal used a lot of money when he built up his structures. Uh, I know there's probably 
less clan uh, divisions, uh, also because it was a strong dominating central clan at, at times. But I, I think it's something to be said for this idea about search for consensus, accept that people are angry at each other, but as long as you settle it without violence, that's at least a, a kind of start. But I have great sympathies when you talk about dealing with, with service delivery. Most of you would know that that is very close to my heart. Yeah. Are there any other voices? I thought it was very interesting when we also talked about Somaliland and the May election, uh, about the way it was conducted, but also the outcome that there were no women uh, elected. Um, and I think there were two women councillors elected out of the 230 something local councillors. Um, I think that um, uh, engagement with gatekeepers for inclusion is very important. And one of them are political parties. And um, the role that political parties would have long term to work towards identifying candidates, build up candidates, but also address some of those structural challenges and engagement with other informal institutions uh, in the society would be important. So that was my half of the note. My question is about Somalia, Somalia and the one person, one vote. Um, democratization, how much uh, is being supported to engage the ordinary citizen in those discussions? What does Somali want? Uh, and what can the international community do to support those conversations uh, so that uh, a political settlement also uh, have input from citizens? Uh, so that was Thank you very much. So the man and the woman in the streets, uh, can they participate in the process? Um, that was one of these questions. Um, first of all, um, this indirect election it became a good engage, civil, civil, engage, civil engagement because everybody or every Somali citizen is talking about how it was bad, this indirect election, and they are saying we don't want to see again this indirect election. Yes, and, and the civic education and civic, civic engagement was not <coughs> as much as we big as we needed, but but and it was tried. It was tried, and, and there was a lot of and, and meeting with civil society with Somali people. As a commission, we went and, and all the federal member states, and every federal member state, we visited civic districts um, to, to mobilize and engage people. And we, we, we registered, we, all, we have all, all, all the documents, and you can see how people were excited and how people they want one person, one vote election. 
I, I'm not saying that we covered all what we needed, but um, <coughs> another main point is in Somali, and it, it has to start these things from the schools. It has to be educated the young people about election, about the conversation, about how the institutions are very important to, to, to form. And what one, one of the big issues that we are lacking is building strong institutions, building strong institutions. That we are lacking, really. But I am um, not pessimist as Ainashe. is here, he's in Oslo, he can work up anytime he wants, he can drive the car anywhere he wants, or he can take metro. I enjoy today walking with him in, in Oslo. I, I can't get that opportunity in Mogadishu to walk everywhere peacefully. Mm. And, and she was asking me, are you tired? Can we relax? And, and I was saying, no, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Although I'm fasting and my energy is weak, but I was enjoying walking. And he get used to that. But si since 2009, we reached a lot. We did a lot of progress. Really, we did a lot of progress. And one thing that I want to tell Somalis and, and, and my, and my um, friend foreigners, um, the election was not started the last two years of this government. We started from the beginning. And the international community are here supporting us to do that. And my friend, he was there. He, he, he supported us registering the political parties. It was not the last two years. It was a long time ago. The work for election, it started a long time ago. And we prepared it every year. Every week, one day, we, we used to have a meeting with the international community in Halami, talking about how we do the election. Every three months, we were reporting to the parliament. And that's one of our, our mandate to do it. We were reporting the steps that we are doing and what we need and what we are lacking. Every, everything has been worked except delaying the electoral law. Even with the international community, we have a mutual accountability that we were sitting together and telling we are doing this this month, the other month we are doing this. Every, everything was followed by, by the book. But the mistake came from the conflict between the president and prime minister and, and, and holding, holding up the electoral law. Because without electoral law, we cannot do an election. I think it's a, and I'm wondering if you agree with me, I think it's a, quite a real problem when you have an election that has emerged in Somalia and probably will emerge in, in Mogadishu and uh, in the South later. Uh, and that is, uh, as a female, uh, you face, uh, well, if you want to be a political candidate in uh, Somalia, you have two choices. You know, you can ha be a businessman and have a lot of money, or you can gather funds from your clan. And that is probably harder from a female who is very often intersected in between clans. So uh, if you have a mature uh, party system, a more mature party system, like in Somaliland, I'm not sure if this works in Mogadishu, 
it would have been a good idea to put up a pool to fund female campaigning really within the party frame so that you don't depend that much on the clan for, for the funding. That's uh, just a tool. Can I just say one yeah. word? word. Uh, since we have uh, the special envoy and the ambassador one here, I think uh, one thing, uh, for example, if the government, no which government could do for Somalia are spending uh, more resources, not on the political side, but on the on uh, on the economic side, like for example, food and uh, you know, like education and all these things. I know there are, for example, because of EU laws and others, there are uh, hundreds of Norwegian fishing boats uh, idling half of the year. Instead of like, uh, 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 like uh, for example, um, foreign uh, illegal fishing, perhaps you know, we could send some of those and they could fish and Somalis could benefit. I think uh, I think you have to talk. To yeah, I'm, 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 I'm afterwards. <laughs> because uh, because uh, that's all for now, folks. Uh, big hand for the panel.